0: Welcome to The Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, The Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman.
1: This is Jordan Goodman. Welcome to The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Michael Green. Uh, Michael is an economist and author. Uh, he's written a book that has just come out recently called In Gold We Trust, um, The Future of Money in an Age of Uncertainty. Michael did this book with Matthew Bishop. Welcome to The Money Answer Show, Michael.
2: Jordan, it's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you for inviting me on.
1: Just tell us a little bit about your background, uh, what other things you've written, and and a little bit more about your background before we get into the subject of gold.
2: Well, for my sins, uh, I'm an economist by training. Uh, I spent some time working in the British government uh, as an economist and doing various other things. Um, And then about uh, four years ago, I quit government, uh, and I wrote a book called Philanthrocapitalism, again with Matthew Bishop. Uh, which was all about the rise of the super philanthropists like Bill Gates and Warren Buffett. Um, that book came out the day the Lehman Brothers crashed, and everyone said that was going to be the end of the golden age of giving, but we've been proved right on that one, and uh, the age, golden age of philanthropy still seems to be going. Then we wrote another book, uh, our financial crisis book called The Road from Ruin, How to Revive Capitalism and Put America Back on Top, which was a, a rare book because we're still optimistic, uh, and think that the problems can be fixed. And it was really on the back of that that uh, we got interested about the whole story of gold. And um, that was a, a step that made us uh, unpopular with a lot of other economists. It's uh, an unwritten law of economists that you never take gold seriously. But we've broken the unwritten law and uh, had to dig in and thought about
1: this question. So what are you getting at? There have been several books, many books written about gold. We're going to get into it in some detail. But what is it that you were trying to get across in this book? that is not in the other books
2: about gold. I think our starting point is quite different, is that we came, I think, very much as gold skeptics. What got us interested in writing the book, um, we're just meeting some of the the smartest investors in the world, whether it's um, John Paulson, the man who successfully bet against the US housing market in 2007, George Soros, Ray Dalio, the world's best performing hedge fund manager. And we were just interested that they were taking gold seriously. So very much the writing of the book was an inquiry into their thinking and why that was going on. And I think what we come to is a it's not an ideological book. I think it's very much a pragmatic book that's trying to unpick the real forward-looking issues about not just the gold market, but what happens to money, the dollar, and that wider story going forward.
1: What is your general perception of the public's view towards gold today? I mean, gold's had an enormous rise in the last 10 years. You hear gold coins being advertised on TV and radio all the time. Has gold kind of hit the mainstream now, or does it have a long way to go?
2: I think, you know, you can still, you know, start a fight in a room by talking about gold. It really still does divide opinion. Um, Gold is still seen by a lot of people as being something maybe for Mr. T, Glenn Beck and Ron Paul to be interested in, um, but not for them. And I think what we're trying to say is that gold tells us what's happening with gold, tells us a lot about what's going to happen next in this economic crisis. So since we thought gold is the canary in the gold mine about some other big problems that are coming, and that therefore everyone should take gold seriously, even if they're not choosing to invest in it themselves.
1: Now your first chapter is what you call the 21st century gold rush, and why it matters. Tell us first about the gold rush. What, you know, how much money has been going into gold, and kind of describe what the gold rush has been like so far.
2: Well, the book starts with uh, the meeting between uh, a gold investor called Thomas Kaplan uh, and Bill Gates. Now, Thomas Kaplan's a New York financier. I think he's in the Forbes list of billionaires. Um, And he's also the chairman of the 92nd Street Y. And so he's holding an event in New York where where Bill Gates is a guest of honor. And Kaplan had switched into gold uh, around 2006, 2007. He'd bought a lot of, uh, invested in gold mines as well as gold metal. And he says to Bill Gates, my co-author was there, you know, you should take gold seriously. And Bill Gates looks at him as if he's crazy. Um, And then Kaplan tells us that they met six months later and gold's, between then, the two dates had gone up from $1,000 an ounce to $1,500 an ounce. And Bill Gates said to him, I should have taken your advice. I should have invested in gold. And Kaplan says, it's not too late. So really, we're talking to people like Kaplan, and he sees gold going up to two, $3,000 an ounce or further. Um, others think it could be $6,000 an ounce. Um, so this is re- these are really serious investors. Taking gold seriously and thinking that we ain't seen nothing yet really. The rise from a bottom of $300 an ounce back 10 or 12 years ago up to peaks of $1,900 an ounce last summer, $1,500 an ounce now. It's, they think it's going to go a lot, lot further.
1: What are some of the main factors that are driving gold up or down today? It seems like it's an inflation, deflation hedge. I mean, at the moment, uh, people are more worried about deflation with the contraction, dramatic contraction in Europe, and therefore there'd be inflation is not the problem. People want more inflation to some extent. Uh, yet when it went up to 1900, there was concern about inflation or reflation and the government's printing lots of money. What, what makes gold move up or down in today's market?
2: Right. A lot of money went into gold back in 2009 when the Fed went big on, uh, quantitative easing. And that was when, for example, John Paulson announced he was going to launch a gold-denominated hedge fund. And the feeling from Paulson and a lot of other investors was that all this money being pumped into the economy was going to lead to inflation. Not, maybe not straight away, one of Paulson's advisors is Alan Greenspan. And Greenspan says it's about three, three and a half years normally for the Fed printing money to turn into inflation. So if Paulson's right we should be seeing inflation emerging now. Now, there don't seem to be very strong signs of that at the moment, at least according to the official data. And I think there's actually, even if Paulson is wrong, there's still an inflation question. Because as you say, Jordan, people are worried about, you know, deflation. They're worried about the economy slowing. And so what we argue in the book is that rather than looking at that monetary economics of inflation, you've got to look at the politics and we think that the politics is switching now, whereby governments are going to have to reach for the inflation button as the only way to deal with this crisis.
1: Well, at the moment, uh, not only gold, but all commodities are falling to two-year lows and there's just been weakness across the board in oil and almost any commodity you can imagine. Uh, you say in your book that you expect 2012 to be a make-or-break year for gold. Here we are in May. Is, is it a break year or is it a make-year?
2: Well, gold has this funny relationship with the dollar. So if the dollar gets stronger, then all commodities, gold included, tend to weaken. So I think what we're seeing at the moment is really this reaction to the euro crisis, that money is leaving the eurozone and looking for the safe haven in the dollar. Now, the question is, does anyone think the dollar is really a safe haven? Thomas Kaplan, the big gold investor we interviewed, he says all paper money is toilet paper, the dollar is just double ply. And so I think, yeah, is the dollar, do you, does anyone really believe the dollar is a safe haven? Now, a lot of gold investors are waiting for an announcement about QE3, another round of quantitative easing, that they think would set the dollar falling again. But at the moment, I think this is a short-term effect about the dollar strengthening is driving down gold. And it's the typical noise you see in commodity markets. Uh, and that's the short-term view. I think the long view is still going to be the dollar is being strengthened temporarily, but no one wants a strong dollar. Um, federal government policies are going to try and weaken the dollar. And in that case, we're going to see gold strengthening again. So what would change the current
1: mix of policies right now, which is Europe, I think eight of the 17 countries are in recession. I would say Greece and Spain are in a depression with what's going on there. Uh, you know, you have dramatic deflationary forces there, which is causing people to be very fearful and put money into dollars. Even though they're not great, they're a lot better than, than euros are perceived to be. Um, so the dollar is rising against the euro, but it's still weak against strong currencies like Canadian dollar, Australian dollar, Swiss franc, and so on. What would change those dynamics uh, to make the dollar start going down and make the euro go up with, with what's going on in Europe today?
2: Well, let's start with what's going on in the Eurozone. I mean, the Euro Euro is a complete mess. And one of the problems they've got is they gave the European Central Bank the job only of keeping inflation low. So whereas the Fed has got this dual mandate to look at employment as well as inflation, the European Central Bank is only looking at inflation. Because basically they tried to create the Euro as the German Bundesbank on a greater scale. And what that means is the ECB has been much less proactive in supporting the European economy through some of the troubles. And what we're seeing is the political cost of that, the turmoil in Greece where they can't form a government and the anti-austerity parties are getting stronger. Uh, Nicolas Sarkozy losing the presidential election a couple of weeks ago and Monsieur François Hollande, the new president, saying he wants to... Reopen the negotiations and even in Germany on Sunday we saw um, Chancellor Angela Merkel's party lose a big election, a regional election and it seems that even the German public are losing patience with austerity so because of that depression slowdown going on across the Eurozone you're seeing sentiment changing and I think we're going to see more and more pressure on the European Central Bank to start doing more things like the Fed trying to create a bit of inflation monetary easing so that's quite a big shift because if the eurozone starts printing money how is the US going to respond how much longer can um, the federal reserve the federal government allow the dollar to strengthen
1: so that's it would hurt our exports you mean you're saying yes, it would it hurt our exports to do so
2: yeah because I mean what's going to happen to the US economy over, over the next six months um, I think we've got, a, we've got a number of problems one is a strengthening dollar is going to be bad for exports Um, And then we've got the question, when is the federal government going to stop kicking the debt can down the road? And if you start slowing down uh, government spending, what's that going to do to, to the recovery? And if the global economy in general, including China, is looking a bit sluggish, then there's a real risk of a slowdown. And I think that's not going to be politically acceptable. So I think if we get bad numbers in the middle of the year, there's going to be a lot more pressure on the Fed to start doing quantitative easing before the elections. Um, And we're certainly going to see more pressure on that
1: in 2013 as well. Very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Michael Green. Uh, He is the co-author of the new book, In Gold We Trust, The Future of Money in an Age of Uncertainty. We'll be back after this.
3: If you lead a team of any kind, you need to listen to this show. Tune in to Leading with Emotional Intelligence, hosted by Esther Orioli. Esther provides you with the tools and techniques you need to harness the power of EQ to stop setting goals and start changing behaviors in your organization. Get the latest concepts in EQ from a top-of-the-house perspective and have your questions answered on air. Leading with Emotional Intelligence is broadcast live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. The Want to know what's really going on these days? Well, Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in Washington, on Wall Street, and in our nation's legal system impacts your business every day. We're taking you on a behind the scenes tour of all of it. Each week, we bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers, lawyers, and business leaders. I'm Kevin O'Neill, and I'm your host as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join me for Capital Thinking. Thinking on the Voice America Business Network, each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network.
0: You've been listening to the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
1: Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Michael Green. Uh, he's an economist and author. He's just come out with a new e-book called In Gold We Trust, The Future of Money in an Age of Uncertainty. Welcome back to the show, Michael. Great to be back. Uh, just tell them how they can get the book if they want to follow up on our discussion here.
2: Uh, it's available on Amazon Kindle for an incredibly reasonable $2.99. Uh, I don't know why we made it so cheap. Um, <laughs> it's a sort of full book.
1: Um, yeah, so all through, through Amazon. Oh, uh-huh. very good. Okay, um, so we were talking about the kind of inflation-deflation uh, debate here. Um, so um, the argument you're making for gold at this point is that the only solution to the slowdown in Europe and for that money in the United States is to rev up the printing presses even more and that Germany will relent to keep Greece in and all that money printing – will eventually cause gold prices to go back up. Is that your argument?
2: That's right. And and I think what I would stress is it's an argument based on the politics. And I think, can political leaders get voters to accept years and years of austerity to try and stabilize the economy? And I think the answer is no. Um, It's certainly no in Europe at the moment, given the way that the political moves turning against austerity. And I'm pretty skeptical whether whoever wins the elections at the end of the year in the United States is going to be able to persuade people to accept big cuts in public expenditure, big tax hikes, um, to accept a slowdown in the economy. So in that sense, the way I describe it is that we've got this very particular situation. This is not a normal recession. We've got this this recession, this slowdown that's all being crushed down by this huge debt burden. And the way you can deal with a debt burden is with inflation. So inflation is the chemotherapy to deal with the cancer of debt. And I think politicians are going to opt for that chemotherapy option as the only thing that
1: voters will tolerate. Now, there are other countries in the world today where there is inflation. Uh, India comes to mind and others where the people are revolting against that. There have been food riots in Indonesia and other places where prices are going up sharply. Uh, so you're saying in some parts of the world, there's a constituency against inflation, and other parts of the world, there's a constituency against austerity. Is that the way it works?
2: Well, well a lot of countries are saying uh, that the inflation is actually being caused by what the Fed's is doing um, because of the, the dollar's role as a global reserve currency. That actually that monetary easing is filtering through to their economies and causing inflation. Um, this is why I call it chemotherapy, is that there's nothing good about inflation. Um, we've spent most of the last 30 years in the global economy, trying to stop inflation. But there are some situations when inflation does things that are helpful to the economy, particularly about reducing the real value of the debts. I mean, one of the great stories about inflation is, of course, Germany after the First World War. Um, and people often associate that with the rise of the Nazis and Adolf Hitler. One thing things people don't often note about that story is that what the German inflation of the early 1920s did was it wiped out the German debts from the First World War. So whereas Britain was still for decades onwards having to repay what it had borrowed from the rest of the world to fight the First World War, Germany, which had borrowed from its citizens, by having inflation, had wiped out that debt. And that's what inflation does. Now, it's basically robbing from savers to pay borrowers, but it does deal with the debt problem. Inflation would also help to get the, house, the housing market going. It would deal with the problem of underwater borrowers. So there are lots of reasons why inflation could be seen as a desirable option to deal with this problem, and that's why we've seen Nobel Prize-winning economist Paul Krugman advocating it in his latest book. So
1: uh, how would what, – if, if what Krugman uh, advocated, which is basically create inflation, print more money, spend more money that we don't have, go into more debt – um, if that were to happen, he, he's kind of an anti-gold person. Wouldn't that be uh, the best dream for gold and, and, and getting everything right and lining up for gold prices to go up?
2: Yes, that's the irony of it is Paul Krugman loves to be rude about gold. His explanation for the rise in the gold price in recent years has been because Glenn Beck is promoting it on his radio show, which is a rather strange argument for a Nobel Prize-winning economist. Um, <laughs> This is exactly the point, is that if you do have that inflation, people will start to look for alternative ways of saving their money, alternative ways of protecting what they've got saved, and therefore gold is going to benefit. So Mr. Professor Krugman will never admit this uh, and will never want to say this, but his policies are the best news for gold.
1: Indeed. So let's talk about history, and you talk about this in your book. When have we had a similar situation, and how does it all play out where you've had a big debt overhang? And we can go back to the Roman Empire, if you like, or other times in history. We've had a big overhang of debt, and the government said it's too painful to do austerity to the people, so let's inflate our way out of it. How did that affect gold prices, and and what was the kind of ultimate end game on on that whole game?
2: Now, I mean, the great thing – Um, about money issued by a government is that the government can make more of it if he wants to. So I think we found that the first um, government to adopt a deliberately inflationary policy was uh, a king Dionysius of Syracuse in about 600 BC. And uh, he was fighting a, a very expensive war with Carthage in North Africa. And so what he did was he just took in all the one drachma coins and re-stamped them as two drachma coins and therefore double the amount of money available. And this is what you see most often throughout history, is that it's war that creates debts for governments. Because in wartime, all principles of sound money go out of the window, because you will keep making money to fight the war, because you don't want to lose. And we can see that in the 19th century, when Britain is fighting the Napoleonic Wars. We can see that during the Civil War, with the greenback dollars produced by the federal government, We see that in the First World War. We see that in the Second World War. It's a constant theme throughout history. Now, what happens normally after those wars is that what governments sometimes do is say, we're going to restore sound money. And then they have a big economic squeeze, and they restore sound money. But that comes at a very big cost to the economy. Britain did that after the Napoleonic Wars in the 19th century. And there was a very long slowdown. And basically, as far as economists were concerned, for centuries, that was the policy to do. You get too much debt, when the war is over, you just have to you know, stop spending, have a long depression, and everything will be okay in the end. And that broke down in the 1920s, 1930s. Because in a sense that you've got the rise of democracy um, and big and complex industrial societies – Basically, voters said, we're not going to take it anymore. And that was why we saw those austerity policies not working. And we saw uh, FDR taking the dollar off the gold standard in response to the Great Depression, because politicians were looking for an alternative to simply just paying down the debt and taking a big hit with a long depression.
1: So how does that relate to today where we have the same thing? We've built up this huge amount of debt. This hasn't been necessarily because of wars for other reasons as well. Uh, but the, the normal solution, as you say, in the past would have been years of austerity and getting back to sound money. And you say that's becoming politically less and less popular. Uh, so we're, we're going to skip that part and go straight to the reflation part? Is that what you're saying?
2: That's right. I mean, we talk about the idea that money is a technology. And like all technologies, it evolves over time. And the big change we think happens in the 20th century is that the old technology of sound money, and therefore using austerity to deal with debt problems, runs into conflict with democracy. Um, And in democracy, voters have a say, won't take the austerity, look for an alternative, and therefore we get the invention of new tools to deal with debt with policies like inflation.
1: And would this be true not only of gold but other hard assets as well, silver and diamonds and copper and all kinds of things, they would all go up similarly, or why would gold be the best asset Amongst the hard assets.
2: Right. So, I mean, when we talk about gold, I think we don't look at gold as being the fundamental sort of true money. What we say is that by custom, people look first to gold as a, as a kind of a currency, as an alternative to paper money, but we also think they'll be looking to other assets, um, whether it's, it's copper or diamonds or fine wines or something else. Um, so what we think is that if we get this inflation coming through, people will look to gold, but they'll also look to other alternative ways of protecting their wealth. So what we're going to see, in, in a sense, is people creating their own money, creating portfolios of money um, using different commodities, and even perhaps using some of these new digital currencies like Bitcoin that have been created to be um, sound.
1: Do, do you think that the U.S. dollar uh, will remain there? world reserve currency for a long time? Or, or some people say it's going to be replaced by a basket of currencies or maybe not exactly the gold standard, but gold could be part of the solution. What, what do you think I mean, is going I, to happen there?
2: I mean, the first thing I always want to stress is, I mean, it, I think it was the, uh, a future French president, uh, Valéry Giscard d'Estaing, described the the dollar being a um, global reserve currency as an exorbitant privilege. And I think we have to understand that that position for the dollar has become an extraordinary liability. The fact that dollar is a global reserve currency allowed the United States to borrow and borrow and borrow, which contributed to the crash of 2008. Because if it was a normal currency, at some point people would say, we can't really lend them all this money. Because it was a global reserve currency, the US could keep lending. Now we have the problem that as a global reserve currency, it's the safe haven, which is therefore driving up the value of the dollar which is harming the recovery in the U.S. economy. So the global reserve position is a real liability for the U.S. economy. How long can it last? The only thing holding back the demise of the dollar as the global reserve currency is the lack of an alternative. Um, There's no other global currency. Now the euro is in trouble to take that job. No other currency is big enough or strong enough to take that role. It's not the Chinese yuan it's not the euro. It can't be the Swiss franc, which is too small. So there's no other government currency that can be the alternative. And gold will struggle to be an alternative reserve currency because there's just not enough of it about. And also because if China, for example, wanted to move to a gold-backed currency, it would just move the market so quickly. It would become very expensive for China. And also the bottom would drop out of all the the billion or so dollars it's lent the United States, so we're sort of stuck in a situation where no one's happy with the dollar, but there's no real alternative. The one alternative on the table that's being pushed by people like um, Joseph Stiglitz, another Nobel Prize-winning economist, is a new global currency controlled by the International Monetary Fund. But the prospect of any yeah, the governments of the world coming together to create a new super currency, especially after all the trouble in the Eurozone, is about zero. So How about a
1: basket of currencies? People talk about that.
2: But then who would administer that basket of, the cur- of currencies? Someone would have to decide what that was that would need a central global monetary authority, probably the International Monetary Fund. Hmm. And again, if you have a basket of currencies, you know, what's it made up of? Are they reliable? Will it be trusted? Um, So you've got lots of issues there that there's no no simple alternative to the system we have, even though the system we have is bad for America and bad for the world.
1: Wonderful. Okay. Well, we're going to get back to this in more detail. Uh, My guest is Michael Green. Uh, He's an economist and author. Uh, The book he has just come out with, with Matthew Bishop, is called In Gold We Trust, The Future of Money in an Age of Uncertainty. You can get it at uh, Amazon uh, uh, Kindle uh, area.
3: The Markets up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now toll free 866 472 5790. That's 866 472 5790. Voice America Business Network.
0: Join Patricia Raskin, the host of Positive Living on VoiceAmerica.com Monday, 11 Pacific. This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call to Positive Living, Mondays at 11 Pacific Time, right here on voiceamerica.com.
3: The path to leadership excellence begins here. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
0: You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
1: Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour... Is Michael Green, uh, he's an economist and author, and has just come out with a new book called In Gold We Trust, The Future of Money in an Age of Uncertainty, uh, which is available at Amazon in their Kindle uh, department. Welcome back to the show, Michael. Thank you. So say uh, you're interested in buying gold. Let's briefly go through the pros and cons of different ways of uh, buying gold. Let's start with physical gold um, and uh, bullion coins versus numismatics or bars. What are the advantages disadvantages
2: of getting physical gold? Well, I mean, the big disadvantage of physical gold is the costs of storing it. Um, I was talking to someone at a private bank who was saying that some very rich client had uh, transferred all their money into gold and wanted to put it in, a, in their own private Fort Knox in their garden. And they were trying to explain to this person this would be an incredibly expensive way of looking after their money. So, in a sense, if you're waiting, if you're looking for the apocalypse, um, the collapse of civilization. Physical gold um, is your safest bet, but it comes with a lot of costs in terms of storage and risks. If you want to store it safely, or risks if you want to just keep it under your bed.
1: So uh, let's take this a little further. Let's say we do have the apocalypse and society is falling apart and you've got your gold in your backyard. I mean, are you going to go down to the supermarket and slice off a piece of a bar or something? I and mean, How does this all work in practicality?
2: Well, that's going to be one of the problems, and I know that the economist Nouriel Roubini says that if you're worried about the end of the world as we know it, then you should be buying tins of meat rather than storing gold, because that might be more useful for you than gold itself. Um, But I think, you know, there is a sense where you've always got a problem with gold as a currency, is that it's just so valuable as a metal that it's going to be hard to slice little bits off. Um, So... You know, if, you, if you want your gold, probably make sure you've got some small denominations, not one, just one big bar, would be my right advice, <laughs> if that's your expectation.
1: I mean, gold itself is not that productive. Uh, I mean, Warren Buffett talks it a non-productive asset. I guess it was Keynes who called it the barbaric relic, right? Uh, so, I mean, why do people actually give such value to this thing, which really doesn't do anything for anybody? It looks nice, but doesn't really have that many productive uses.
2: Well, I suppose it's, I mean, it's got sort of certain properties of conductivity that it could be more widely used in industry. It's just too expensive, so it could have a use. But its monetary use makes it too expensive to have much industrial use as part of its problem. And in a sense, if you look at Warren Buffett, who, again, is a big gold skeptic, I mean, what he's really saying to people is he thinks that stocks are going to be a better option for protecting your wealth. So he's not saying there isn't any risk to paper the money. There isn't any risk from just trying to buy fixed income. He just thinks that productive assets in the end will serve better than gold as, a, as an alternative. So I think it's an interesting thing that even people who are explicitly critical about gold, if you drill down to what they're saying, actually they're sometimes talking about the same risks that are driving the gold market up. And the thing that keeps gold up is really... Uh, custom, our um, general acceptance, the idea that gold is money, even though as one of the stories we tell in the book is that if you had said to someone 300 years ago that gold is money, they'd have thought you were crazy, because most of the world thought silver was money, and gold is actually quite a late entry into the monetary universe, um, and this really sort of only emerged really by accident as the, as the metal and meant money.
1: Uh, okay, so we have physical coins. Would you ever recommend numismatic coins as a way to play gold or only bullion coins?
2: I think there are a lot of risks, and you'd have to really know that market. So if you don't know the market, you've got the numismatic risk plus the volatility of, of gold as a commodity, that you've got quite a lot of risk there. And in general, what I would be saying to people is, You know, if you've got to invest in gold as part of a balanced portfolio, accepting that there's going to be a lot of short-term risk and volatility in it, um, it's something that widows and orphans should be very careful about getting into. And there actually are alternatives. I mean, one of the products I'm surprised isn't more popular is actually index-linked treasury bonds, which I think are available, which would be another way of hedging the risk of inflation which may be safer for people who may want to access their cash at some point um, and don't want that short-term risk of the gold market.
1: These are like tips you're talking about that are indexed to inflation, the yes. CPI.
2: Yeah. Yes. So I don't think that's a way of covering the inflation risk for yourself without having to take the risk of the short-term volatility. Because if you need to access that cash, gold is a volatile market and you could get
1: burned. How about financial assets that are tied to gold? Such as the gold ETF GLD, uh, there are even CDs denominated in gold and various kinds of financial assets tied to the price of gold. Is that a better way to go?
2: Yeah, so there's, there's a lot of debate goes on about the quality of ETFs, and some people are, are skeptical that these funds can really honour their commitments. Um, you know, it, they could actually run into trouble. I haven't really seen that with any of the big ones. I think they're, you know, they're covered. I think for the for, the, uh, for eventualities, um, and then what they are is an easier way of trading in gold. Again, I think for every investor, it's you've got to do your due diligence on the product, on the company, um, but there is a lot more convenience with an ETF and you don't have those um, costs of storage like you do have for physical gold.
1: And then the next step up would be uh, gold mining shares, where you're buying shares in a Newmont Mining or a Barrick Gold or Anglo Gold or all the various mining companies, either directly, individually, or through an exchange-traded fund uh, like GDX, which for the uh, the senior miners, and GDXJ for the junior miners. Um, those are more leveraged to the price of gold. What do you think of those as a way to play gold?
2: Okay, so you've got two problems with mining stocks which I think have affected their price. The first one is they do have some exceptional risks and that might be um, environmental costs that could uh, become a cost burden or you do have political risks if you saw more governments wanting to appropriate gold mines. I think that's less of the issue. I think the big issue for gold mining stocks has been that they sell a lot of their production in futures markets. So the rise in the price of gold hasn't necessarily flowed through to mining companies themselves because they'd already sold their production at lower prices. So again, if you're, but if you're thinking gold long-term, then actually mining stocks could actually be underpriced at the moment.
1: So would you do it with individual ones, or would you do the broad-based ETFs of mining stocks?
2: I think the, the, what the broad base gives you is that insulation from those Maybe extreme risks, but the risks around individual mines and individual mining companies. So you've got some uh, protection there with the portfolio. And again, you may get better returns by picking what the mining company that's underpriced, but you've got to be able to do the research and the due diligence. And if you haven't got the resources to do that, some fund to pool and hedge that risk is probably the best way to go.
1: And then how about more speculative ways of playing gold, like gold futures and options? Um, and really leverage ways to play gold. Is that a good way to do it?
2: Uh, I think it's, it's a very, very difficult market. I look at a lot of traders blogging about gold and showing me tram lines and different trends and lines of support, and I think it's a, it's a very difficult thing to do. Um, and so unless you're a professional trader and you really think you know what you're doing, I think I'd be very careful.
1: How much should the average investor, nobody extraordinary, but just the average investor, have of their portfolio in gold based on what you see happening in the world today? Uh,
2: It depends a bit on how long you're uh, looking to save for, what your time horizon is. Um, So they have a long time
1: horizon, 20 years.
2: 20 years. I think if if you look at uh, 30 years ago, I mean, gold was making up something much closer towards 5% of uh, investment assets, and it's down at 1% now. So I think yeah, maybe pushing back towards 5% um, is the way, if it's gold, or maybe I think as we talked about, it's going to be other commodity-based hedging investments. Um, so maybe not just gold, other factors, having that to protect you against the inflation risk sounds like a prudent thing to
1: do. But you're still saying, even with long-term view, 5% of your portfolio, not more than that.
2: I think unless you're really expecting the end of the world, um, I think that's for the general average investor. I think if you're trying to go for some big gains or you're very worried about inflation in particular, you might want to go bigger. Um, but I think if we, were, if we were thinking in terms of every investor should be thinking about at least a 5% sort of stake to protect themselves, that's something that every investor should be thinking about.
1: Is one of the arguments for gold that – It's not widely owned, actually, particularly by institutions, pension funds and so on. And that one of the reasons it's going to go up in the long run is more players will get in and there's just not that much supply of new gold and it could be quickly overwhelmed by the popularity both from individual retail and institutions.
2: Exactly. And it's not just um, pension funds. It's also central banks. Um, I think the United States is one of the few central banks in the world that actually holds most of its reserves in gold, um, especially in the emerging markets like India and China. The reserves are much, much more held in dollars or other currencies rather than gold. And I think on the back of the crisis we've had over recent years, every central bank is going to be looking to rebalance, get a bit more gold. So if we've got central banks... Um, pension funds and other investors moving towards rebalancing their portfolios to include some gold, even at smaller percentages. That's going to give pretty strong demand, So, which is why I think you have to look at that bottom price of $300 an ounce back 12 years ago as being the product of some very, very particular circumstances that aren't going to be repeated, I don't think, in our lifetimes anyway.
1: Is there the possibility that if inflation really got going, that people would want to bring a gold standard back? And if so, how would that happen?
2: I mean, I think if you if you want to, if you have really, really serious inflation, then you're going to have to sort of basically create a new form of money. And one way of doing that would be through a gold standard. I don't think anyone's talking about that kind of crazy Zimbabwe-style inflation. Um, you have to remember that Paul Krugman is talking about maybe, maybe 5%, which in historic terms is not absolutely wacky. Um, The danger, of course, is that you start targeting 4% inflation and the process gets out of control. Um, So I think it would take a a very big collapse in the trust in government money, a real hyperinflation to require a new monetary system um, and so moving towards a gold standard, I think would only be a product of that kind of scenario, certainly in the medium term. And so would it
1: work if, if you did get a big inflationary spike and somehow the world agreed to a gold standard, would that stamp out inflation?
2: It would stamp out inflation. It would also be very bad news for the economy. This um, is one of the problems with a, with a gold standard. Is it's a very rigid system. It means the amount of money you've got is almost absolutely fixed and it can't move and adjust with the confidence of the economy um, so the problem the, the gold standard has always had is it's too rigid and because supply is fixed it has a tendency towards being deflationary so that's why we see the what they call the first great depression of the, from the 1870s onwards actually was a product of a shortage of gold in the world um, that couldn't keep pace with the expansion of the global economy so that's, a, that's, a, I, that's why we don't support the very hardcore idea that a return to the gold standard is a good idea. It's too rigid a system of money.
1: Very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Outdoor Show. My guest this hour is Michael Green. Uh, he's an economist and author. Uh, and the book he just came out with, uh, along with his co-author, Matthew Bishop, is called In Gold We Trust, The Future of Money in an Age of Uncertainty. We'll be back after this. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Michael Green, an economist and author. His latest book, along with his co-author Matthew Bishop, is called In Gold, We Trust, The Future of Money in an Age of Uncertainty. Welcome back to the show, Michael. Thanks, Jordan. You have a whole section in the book on what's called Bitcoin. Maybe explain what that is and what role that may play in the monetary system.
2: Okay, so Bitcoin is a new alternative digital currency. It was created by Person Unknown on the internet on a cryptography listserv. And every time someone solves a cryptographic puzzle, they earn or what they say mine a Bitcoin. So this is this sort of this currency started floating around in that sort of cyber world. And then I think someone spent about a thousand of these Bitcoins Buying a Papa John's pizza. And this was the first time that a, this digital currency was used to buy a physical product. And then I think about a, a year or two ago, the price of the Bitcoin went from, up from sort of five cents through a dollar and up to about sort of thirty dollars per Bitcoin before it collapsed again back down to about the, below five dollars again. But the idea here is that we, through computing technology to information technology we can create currencies that aren't controlled by any human being it doesn't require a head of the federal reserve to control the amount of money that's created it's created automatically by a computer algorithm you can't create more, you can't create less and therefore it's going to become a new kind of super currency that's super sound sounder than the dollar and at least as good maybe better than gold so that's the dream of these people creating Bitcoin and other alternative currencies. And in the sense, we're seeing the idea of alternative currencies emerging already. Sometimes as local trading currencies, but also things like air miles. Huge numbers of air miles are actually spent on things that aren't actually airplane tickets. Um, you're seeing loyalty points and other other things emerging. So the idea that you can use things other than government-created money as a way of buying goods and services, is starting to happen more and more and more. So what we speculate in the book is, are we going to see if we get inflation, if the credibility of government-backed paper money diminishes, are we going to see more of these alternatives emerging as new rivals to gold? And it's a fascinating time.
1: And so as people become more and more dissatisfied with the dollar, of the world reserve currency, uh, they, they want to go to something. So is that likely that there will be some kind of alternative, to, whether it be Bitcoin or gold or a basket of currencies of some type?
2: Well, this is a and the point we made very strongly in the book. Is if you look back in the 1930s when you know FDR took the dollar off the gold standard, it came with a whole group of measures to seize people's gold and stop them using gold as money and penalties on using gold as money. And so the government had to really force people not to use alternatives. Whereas in today's global economy, with today's information technology, it's much easier to get around those rules. So whereas in the 1930s, the federal government could stop people using anything apart from the dollar pretty effectively, it's much harder now. And there are a lot of people who are actually dreaming of the idea that you could create these currencies as a way of breaking down government power. One of the people we interviewed was Peter Thiel, who was one of the investors in Facebook and PayPal. And he talked about when they created PayPal, they wanted to create a a PayPal currency. Um, And that was part of the dream of PayPal. It didn't quite work out because of counter-terror legislation. But there's a lot of people looking to try and free money from the control of governments because they think that's going to create better money. And that's going to be quite a, a different world it's a world that's possible because of the
1: changes in technology. And also, as the governments keep printing more and more money, it devalues it, and and people want to find an alternative to it even more desperately to some extent.
2: Yeah. I mean, you could be in a crazy situation where you might find that your air miles hold value better than your dollars. Then people would start using air miles a lot more.
1: (laughs) Well, in cases of hyperinflation, like Zimbabwe or Weimar Germany or something, uh, people do go to hard assets because it's the only thing that they feel holds value. Is that right?
2: Yeah, and I think what you saw in Weimar Germany was a whole bunch of alternative local currencies being created in different forms um, just to try and keep the economy going. So you had this enormous plethora of different currencies, some private, some by local governments, just because there was no point holding the official currency. So again, inflation will encourage more of that. And technology is much better placed to create those alternatives now than they were in the
1: past. So just to be clear, you are saying this is what's going to happen, that the reflation move is, is picking up steam in Europe. Another QE2 and QE3 is going to become in the United States, more printing of money. Japan is printing money. The, the central governments are going to be printing more and more money uh, to reflate their way out of the, the problem, causing inflation causing people to want to go to hard assets and towards gold and other hard assets. Is that what you're predicting is going to happen in the coming years? Uh, Yes. So the slightly
2: weird thing is what we're predicting is what um, the great Austrian economist Hayek was recommending. Hayek believed the great curse on our time was government monopoly money, and he said that you should get rid of that monopoly and allow private institutions to create their own money. Whether you believe in Hayek or not, we're saying that what this inflation will do, and in this globalized 21st century information technology world, we're going to see what Hayek wanted starting to happen as people look for alternatives to unreliable government-created money.
1: And so what, what would be the impact of that on the government-created money? It, it devalues it. If people don't trust it anymore, they use it less?
2: And this is an enormous problem for government, because how do you tax current transactions that aren't made um, through the official currency. Um, you, know, you can't control the economy in the same way. And I think that then leads to some very unpredictable consequences. And that's, so we're really saying this is a, a time of amazing change. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about this as the next evolution in the technology we call money. Something is really big is happening now about this basic technology of our lives and that's why people really need to think about what's going on. And gold is a way of looking at all these really big questions about money. It's not just an asset in itself.
1: Who is kind of looking at this whole situation to try to figure out the best way to move forward? Is it the the World Bank, the International Monetary Fund, the central bankers of the world? I mean, who is grappling with these issues to try to come up with some solution?
2: I don't think there anyone's grappling with it in official circles. And this is one of the reasons we wrote the, wrote the book, is that so many people in the economics profession, in these top jobs, just are trying to figure out how to get back to business as usual before the crash. And we don't think that they're really engaging with the scale of the challenge that's coming um, if we go down this inflation route. That how that's going to drive much bigger changes in the way world, money operates and the way the world works. And it's still very hard to talk about um, because people want to keep on pretending that we'll just go back to where we were. It'll just be a few, as long as the quarterly productivity you know, production numbers are up, phew, everything's fine and we'll go back to business as usual. And it's not going to go back to business
1: as usual. Indeed. Well, scary but interesting. <laughs> so, I appreciate <laughs> you being on the show. My guest this hour has been Michael Green. Uh, he's an economist and author. His latest book, done along with uh, Matthew Bishop, is called In Gold We Trust, The Future of Money in an Age of Uncertainty. And we certainly are in an uncertain age, and having learning all about gold is certainly a good idea here. Uh, so thanks so much for being a guest on the Money Answer show.
2: Jordan, has been a real pleasure. We really enjoyed the conversation. And these are such important issues for us as individuals, as investors, thinking of our own livelihoods, but also citizens. And I think it's a great job you're doing getting them out there and getting them discussed.
1: Terrific. Thank you so much. We'll be back with another edition of The Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now.